Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I talk to Mark Mars from Niche Website Builders. We talk about how he got involved in niche sites originally, and then a little bit on how he and Adam Smith started up their agency, which you probably heard of them. They sponsor the uh, the Thursday shows. The thing that we dive deep into is a topic that I have not covered, and it's the shotgun skyscraper technique. And shout out to the authority hacker guys. They sort of coined the phrase, they put together the process, and a lot of people have seen great success with it. So Mark talks about his particular flavor and what they implement over at Niche Website Builders. Then we talk about a new case study that's coming up where basically they're building on an expired domain and they're publishing a lot of content. I'll let Mark tell us about it in the interview here. So I'm not going to ramble on for too long. I'm going to come come back at the other end though. So I'm going to send it right to the interview now. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Doug. Very well. So... We got introduced a few months ago, and like I said, I thought your name was fake at first. I didn't, I didn't realize it was you. I didn't know you at the time. So we've been able to catch up and, and chat quite a bit over the last several months. So it's, I'm glad we're going to be able to share this story with everyone else. So for the people that don't know you at all, can you let us know what you're doing now and then sort of a little bit about your background, and we'll sort of navigate our, our way through um, – some of the detailed stories, but yeah, wh- who are you? Okay. Yep. So, um, yeah, so I'm Mark Mars. I, um, run niche website builders with, uh, Adam Smith, who was recently on, uh, Doug's show as well. Um, so yeah, we've been running that agency now for, uh, well, since December last year, we, I've previously run another digital agency, which is more of a traditional kind of local business, uh, kind of agency in the in the real world, I guess. And prior to that, I worked at Microsoft uh, for about a decade as a application development consultant. And kind of in between the agency, like before I left Microsoft, and then after I also started a, a SaaS software company with a couple of developer friends of mine at Microsoft. Well, we we essentially uh, created a software tool and then got investment and and um, I, yeah and and. The rest is history, I guess, with that one too. <laughs> awesome. And when did you get into like affiliate marketing and some of the you know things that you work on today? I ran a the a, a digital marketing agency for for local businesses uh, in and around where I'm in the UK for um, seven or eight years, and um, I've been doing SEO for uh, around five years longer than that, just on a a, a kind of side job, uh, I guess, from Microsoft, like friends and family, and and but never really kind of start ranking ranking my insights and <laughs> you always do it for, for other people and I'd never even really considered doing it for myself and um, I started to do that actually just as I was finishing up with the, the my last agency and started getting into into the world and I you know came kind of the uh, usual kind of route I, got, I guess of Pat Flynn and then Spencer and then yourself Doug and and kind of I, I got very, really interested in in the affiliate marketing world um, so that's I guess that was kind of three or four years ago now and so I've been um, going headlong into that. So I, I did some consultancy for a while between my ag- last agency and this agency for SEO agencies. And in the meantime, in the background, I was kind of building my own affiliate marketing portfolio as well. Cool. And did you build your sites from scratch or did you acquire them? What was your route? Yeah, all, all, always from scratch. So the opposite to Adam. <laughs> so Adam's, uh, Adam, uh, yeah, he, he's only ever bought, he's never done from scratch. And I've only only ever done from scratch uh, and okay. not bought. So um, that's not true, actually. I have bought a couple, but they're in like really early days. So I guess when I started for the first for the first couple of years, they were just from scratch. And then more recently, I had bought some smaller sites. Um, but um, yeah, so yeah, generally, and, and generally I've been working with a, a new domain rather than an expired domain, which is much more what we're into now and, and, and what, what we like to focus on for, well, for both for our portfolios, but for, for, for our clients as well. All right. Very cool. And we were just chatting earlier and I want to point something out that people may not realize. I didn't even know it until you told me. You said that 
the domain and niche website builders started as you documenting a case study, which is sort of still in play. I mean, people can go and read some of the early days and that was like at the end of 2018 or so. So can you tell us a little bit, maybe just about that site and then how the process went documenting it and then what opportunities it brought by, you know, putting yourself out there? Because it kind of started at nothing, right? The, The site had... (laughs) <laughs> no yep. traffic. You had no um, chops really, right? And you were just mm-hmm. starting to blog in internet marketing like everyone else, right? So t- tell us about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so I, nichewebsite.builders was, um, I guess, you know, originally the blog. Um, I, I, the, I gave them the case study and the name Niche Empire Project, which, and, and really it was just for me to kind of, I went to the document my story along the way uh, but but for me really so it's very easy to just carry on and, and not really track what you're doing and, uh, and just get kind of lost as, well not lost but if you're not tracking what you're doing then you can forget what you've done and what was successful and, and I kind of wanted to do that anyway so I wanted to kind of track my earnings track track what the changes that I made and I figured that hey I could make it a blog because for me like when I started getting into it and I started following uh, some of the some of the influences in space. Uh, I started signing up to the Facebook groups, and you know the case studies were always most interesting to me. And I think it, I think a lot of people feel that way that they're the you know they're the real stories that people can relate to and kind of can see that the real grind that it takes is just not an overnight thing. And then it's it's much more believable, I think. And so I figured I'd start I'd start I'd start the the case study as well, so I could document it myself. But also, I just wanted to share it with the group and kind of get feedback and and that kind of thing. So, I um yeah, I started sharing sharing that with with the different groups. Um, I also started a Facebook group as well at the same time to just for people to follow along. So if they just wanted to see uh, updates uh, from me, then I could then I started the Facebook group. So that kind of grew over time. To, I, I can't remember kind of how many how quickly it grew but it was it was growing pretty quickly I was getting quite a few in, people interested because like I say people generally are seem to be interested in case studies so that was running for uh about a year probably that Facebook group and the, and the case study before Adam and I met and then three months after we kind of started the agency and we kind of flipped the group then and made it the the company but yeah on, on the blog still today if you go to the niche website builders website you can still see the the updates from that case study. And I, I was doing it every single month and it was pretty detailed. They were pretty long blogs. It took me quite a while to do. Went into all of the, the all of the details. And I think that was what people quite liked because I went into the exact processes and it wasn't it wasn't high level. It was quite de- detailed in everything that I did every month. But it also kept kept making me push on and do do more each month as well. So I had something to write about. So it was kind of had that effect too. Yeah, I love the case studies when I started. Pat Flynn was doing the niche site dual 2.0. So that's circa 2013. And then I think the site that he started was the food trucker site out of that Mm -hmm. um, case study. And then right around that time, Spencer was doing his niche site project one, which I, um, he graciously let me use the name, which was, you know, it ties into project management. That's how I try and justify it. I would name it something different, potentially, you know, maybe knowing what I know now, but it's fine. You know, Spencer's good with it. I'm not trying to confuse people that we're the same person or anything. And I would encourage people, right? If you're thinking, hey, I do want to document my stuff and you want to give it a shot. People do love the case studies. And if you can do what Mark has done, I think like you can really get traction. I mean, you still spend a year on it and you obviously moved on and you're not doing active updates on that um, case study currently, right? Pretty much not, not, not and the last one was like four or five months ago. So it was kind of doing, so I've been running about 18 months and it was doing about 1500 a month. I mean, the good thing about this site as well is that about 50% of the traffic comes from Pinterest as well. So that's 50% organic from Google, 50% from Pinterest. It's doing, uh, it's doing, it got to around 60,000 uh, sessions a month at its peak. I think the last update, it had gone down to like 55. But it's, got, it's kind of been trucking along and just earning that kind of revenue passively-ish. Lately, though, I've been adding more content and adding a whole more links because uh, it's doing well. I just I haven't, had the, I haven't 
had the time to kind of in, invest in it. So I've, I've been pushing some more time into it. Um, hopefully, we can get it near the six-figure mark and kind of look to sell it next year. So, um, Very cool. Yeah. I'm doing some of, the, some of the stuff I've neglected, like internal links and stuff as well. So, uh, or, or, or proper internal linking, should I say? So, okay, very cool. Silos on that. Cool. And one of the services that the agency offers is the shotgun skyscraper, which I'm currently checking out. I'm, I think I'm like three and a half, four months in. I've seen very good results. It was a brand new site, so I'm not seeing um, the impact yet, but I expect it to come. Now. The Authority Hacker Crew, um, people should check out their podcast and their blog, uh, Super Smart Guys. They sort of coined the shotgun skyscraper, which puts together a shotgun technique of sending out a ton of emails along with a skyscraper uh, piece of content, which is from Brian Dean, Backlinko. So you guys are executing it exceptionally well from my point of view. So can you take us through some of the details? So I gave the one sentence summary and what do you have to do? If someone's thinking, Hey, I want to give this a shot. How would you implement it? Yeah. So there's a kind of, I guess there's a number of steps to the, to the process kind of, you know, we could go into quite a lot of detail, but I guess, you know, at a detail orientated ish kind of level you know there's a few things with the the with the skyscraper approach that brian dean kind of raised when he when he first was first doing his approach so you know the first thing is you're kind of taking the risk away from just writing a piece of content and hoping it'll get links by um researching topics that are already popular within your, in your niche so that's something we'll do we'll, we'll go in and, and look at within your niche and find everything that, that already does well and gets a lot of links because the idea being that you know if we write something on a similar topic or the same topic then we should be able to get links too so you know that the topic's interesting enough for people to get links the other aspect of that is that you know we want to make sure that we can get enough prospects so you're kind of turning keyword research on its head when you're researching topics for shotgun skyscraper instead of looking for low competition you know, with, with decent volume kind of keywords you're actually looking for difficult keywords difficult difficult because what we're looking for is uh, topics that have already got a lot of links by default by having a lot of links they're going to be challenging topics to compete for because we want as part of the shotgun skyscraper process we um grab all of those people linking to similar content or on that topic or similar topics in the past um and they become our prospects um, so we grab the we grab the prospects. All of those people are linking to similar articles, and we put them through Hunter. Uh, put the put the site URLs through Hunter, which is a tool for acquiring email addresses. Uh, you can bulk upload URLs into that, and it'll tell you what email addresses it knows. And that's all public data. Hunter data isn't kind of any bought data or anything underhand. It's it's. Um, they essentially just scrape the web for any instances of email addresses they find and, they, uh, and then put them into their database. So Hunter's pretty good. It gets about 50% of any URLs that you, that you, that you, that you feed it. Um, but what happens is, is that it gives you, you know, it give you, it often give you multiple email addresses for each, each site. And then we've got to figure out, okay, which is the best uh, email address to send to because we don't want to be, sending to all 15 email addresses because we might be sending to info at and sales at and person's name at and that same person might manage all of the inboxes and therefore they're getting the same email all at the same time and it just doesn't look good and doesn't isn't conducive to getting a link so um, we choose the best one of the lot so it might be something like editor at or content at um, you know, something that's not so good as info at but if that's all we've got to work with then we'll go with that too um, but we try and we try and give ourselves the best chance. Um, and then, yeah, we go through that kind of outreach exercise. Then we use a tool. We use now, uh, we now use Hunter Campaigns, which is a, an additional module uh, on the Hunter tool um, to do our outreach. And the good thing about those tools is that it'll automatically do the follow-ups for you. So for us, we have three follow-up emails in our sequence generally, and it will do things like it will automatically send those follow-ups but it will do other things like it will work out if the if the person was responded and, and therefore not send the follow up because you don't want that to happen because that obviously doesn't look good. But also if it's got some intelligence built in, so it figures out if the reply was an out of office reply, then it knows it wasn't a real reply and to carry on sending the the follow ups and things like that. So we've got a number of tools that we use, um, uh, you know, 
to kind of streamline the process for us. Okay. Very good. And you summarized it pretty well, so it doesn't sound so complicated, but I'm going to start, we'll start diving into some of these details that we talked about because I've never implemented a skyscraper campaign in this capacity before, especially mm-hmm. not the shotgun. And the reason why is I personally get a lot of emails and I didn't appreciate getting all the emails because I don't care about the person's piece of content. And I'm probably not going to link to them, honestly, because I'm doing a little work for them for free. And one one issue that I have observed too often is exactly what you mentioned you, you're trying to avoid someone sending an email and then I reply back. They actually got my attention, I actually reply back and then they never got it. So either they send the follow-up emails, which I know are automated, or um, I try to follow up with them and they have no clue that I sent them an email. So with that, um, it sounds like you've used some other email automation tools, any specific challenges with using those? Is there any setup? Can you just use, you know, any old email address? Can you use a Gmail? What's the approach with that stuff? Yeah, I think there's a few things there. Like, you know, there's automation, but there's, 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 a, there's definitely got to be a whole lot of human element um, involved in this. So we, you need somebody, you know, we have people manning the inboxes all the time. So we can get back to people straight away because the ideal situation is that you get in a conversation over email with somebody very quickly. That's much, you're much more likely to get the link if you can respond quickly. If you spend three days and not replying and then replying, that person's interest has waned, it's gone. You're much less likely to get the link. However, if you can reply five minutes after they've sent the email um, and they're already at their machine, then you can get into a, a dialogue backwards and forwards and you're much more likely then to get the link. So th- there's that aspect. The other aspect is that, you know, that kind of just art of negotiation and art of conversation. You know, if, you, if you're, if you're very one sentence and kind of, um, you know, you know what you want, I want, I want a link, you know, give it to me now kind of thing. Then, you know, you, you've got to have some sort of personal yeah, some soft skills over email that kind of can work to, to, to talk to somebody, you know, we can't do the, the, the with the shotgun approach, you can't do the latter part of what Brian Dean was, was doing with, with, with skyscraper is spending a long time over the outreach emails. You know, he would spend a lot of time researching the site, researching the people that he was um, out, outreaching to and had, had a very high success rate because of that. And we can't do that because we're, we've scaled it up and we're sending hundreds, if not thousands of emails. Um, and therefore, you know, we try to make the emails as friendly and as personable as we can. Um, but the reality is that they're not all personalized. But what you can do is when you do get a response, then take uh, a lot of care over uh, that person and managing them. You know, um, so that, there's that. Um, you're right in terms of hunter and hunter campaigns and when you're doing a lot of outreach but you need to be careful there's a couple of things you need to consider so we always use a separate domain for any outreach and that's just good practice in general for when you're doing a lot of large-scale outreach because um you know when you're doing that kind of thing, then there's a, there's a chance that spam filters might be a little bit unhappy with the the, the volume of emails you're sending or the worst case scenario, you might get uh, you know uh, blocked or, or blacklisted by spam filters. So we avoid using uh, any email addresses associated with the domain. It shouldn't have any effect on SEO, but if you ever wanted an email address on that domain or the person you sold the site to does, that's problematic. And we just avoid that risk by creating a new domain. So personally, we just use the .email extension. So if your site is best podcastmicrophones.com, then um, then we would use best podcast microphones dot email um, as uh, uh, as the extension and and kind of and, and it really just looks like a quirky email setup at that point. Um, and no one really looks that closely anyway. But if they did, it just looks a little bit quirky in that way. Um, we use a Gmail account as you suggested there because <clears throat> um, well we, we want to. It's a professional. That's why we're doing the, the, the proper domain. We're not using gmail.com. But the other problem with gmail.com accounts is that it's, it's very limiting in the number of emails you can send per day. Um, so we want to send a lot more when you when you take into account the follow-ups we want to send as well. So a, a, a Gmail account is, is not good enough. So, And that's also how things like Hunter and MailShake, can, that you connect the accounts 
to Hunter and Mashek, and that's how it works out that you've got the replies, and and then they can do that that clever stuff for you. Um, yeah. And then, how many emails do you typically send per day, just on an average campaign, say? Yeah. So anything um, or per day. So it's anything from 100 to like 350, something like that. Well, we max out at 400. So our largest kind of largest packages that we offer, kind of we do around about 400. We try not to do more than 400 a day because, again, that's something we've realized um, is kind of a limit. You don't want to be sending more than that because then G Suite starts to suspect that this is not this is not a human doing this, and um, it's unlikely they're going to be sending more than 400 a day. So that's kind of our top end really and if we need if we do we want to do more outreach than 400 per day then we just uh, add more email accounts and additional personas as part of the outreach essentially okay and i have to imagine that you are getting responses back so if you send out too many you may not be able to reply in a timely manner just like you mentioned you need to be able to strike so there's there's some balance that you have to figure out but whatever three four hundred is probably like the max you would want to even try yeah and uh, i mean you, you'll get you'll get plenty of emails back in your inbox every day by doing this as part of the conversation i've done quite a lot of outreach over the years through doing seo and this, this is kind of one of my fate my this this feels more genuine to me although it's automated if you, and, it, and it sounds a bit the wrong way around but you think about when you're you're reaching out for a guest post right it's 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 you know, it's very fake, right? It's like, oh, I, you know, I love your website. I've been a reader for a while. You know, um, I'd love to get work with you and get a link from you. And it kind of, it feels really not genuine to me. And I've, and I've never really liked doing outreach in that way because I don't like to feel like I'm not being genuine. Um, and whereas with this approach, okay, we're sending a lot of emails, right? And, and therefore there's hitting a lot of inboxes. However, once you, you do kind of actually start sending emails to them you're being very genuine because you want to you know some sites you want to do more than just get the link you know you do want to build a relationship because there's other other ways that you can work together uh, on stuff so um it feels more genuine it, it sounds back to front but it, it seems more it feels more genuine to me because i'm never writing that email really that is the one that's trying to um <laughs> suck up to the to the person yeah. at the other end yeah so it's, it's yeah Okay. That's it. Very good. And let's go back to the the actual content. So you talked about, you know, it's kind of like reverse keyword research. <laughs> you actually want it to be, I guess it sounds like pretty popular, um, well-searched and generally more competitive. And that allows you to find more prospects. Did I get that reasoning correct? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you actually write the content, do you have any like special tips with uh, formatting or approaching the content, or is pretty much a standard exercise of writing an informational uh, essay? Yeah, it's an informational article, but the I think that what we would say is that okay, it's a cliche, but to be link worthy, right? The article needs to be link worthy, so it it, it can't be just a standard bog standard thousand word uh, uh, article okay a thousand words you could say a lot in a thousand words and that, that, that's, that's good but it's not it may be in depth enough to be really like interest somebody to want to share it with their audience so that's the way you got to think about it when you're reaching out to these people it, you know the ultimate goal with the skyscraper approach is that we get a link from an existing article on our prospect site linking back to our skyscraper article for free so the, the ultimate goal with skyscrapers, we don't want to pay um, for for the links. Um, so in order to do that, they've got to like the article enough that they want to share it with their audience. So if you think about it from that perspective, and when you're writing an article, is this something that's so good that they want to? Because you know it's, it's quite a high bar. I mean, if you think about yourself and your blog, you know, if you want to share something with your audience, you've probably got quite a high high bar there, Doug, about what you're, you're going to share. Um, that's the way you've got to think about it. So. A lot of the content that we write is um, in-depth kind of guides. So it's like the ultimate guide to X. And and we try and cover off kind of every aspect um, within that topic in, in, in good detail. I mean, not super in-depth because it would be 40,000 words maybe or, or more. But, it, you know, generally a 5,000-word kind of guide is kind of what we look at. Um, and then we – the other thing about the articles is that 
we generally create bespoke artwork or bespoke illustrations to go with the articles as well because we don't want to be the same as every other article that's out there that's got stock photo- the same stock photography as all the others because you know, if they've already linked to that article or a similar article, you know, why, what's the, why would they link to it again? So it's like how it looks and actually the content itself is it going to be interesting to their audience. So I think that's the things you should consider most, yeah. And one thing that I can offer up, although I haven't done this specifically, is if you have data, if you can either pull together data from multiple sources, and we're talking like actual statistics, and then create the artwork for that actual set of statistics, even if it's not your, I mean, if you can get original data, that's fantastic. But if you can curate the data from other places do that as, you know, basically an infographic. That's something that people potentially will try to find and, you know, take your image and then hopefully link back to you. You can actually like research that in the future to go say, Hey, you're using my image. You need to link back. But also it does exactly what you're talking about, Mark, where people see that, Oh, this is uh, actually a little bit different than all the other um, sites that are asking for the same kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, what I would say again, though, with the depends depends how you do it. But uh, what I would say, if you're going to go for the infographic route, people have seen that a lot, and it, it again just needs to be really good. So, in, it, if you're just going to do a really basic infographic with four data points on it, that's that's kind of not interesting. It's going to, whether you're not going to get links. So either either there's got to be vast amounts of data that kind of all brought together is kind of really interesting or it's got to be kind of unique data, unique data to yourself. Um, but it's, yeah, as well, the artworks, it's got to be next level as well. I always think with the artwork because people have seen so many, uh, so many um, uh, infographics over time and you, there's lots of tools that help you build them now and icons and uh, you, you can use out of the, the just um, stock. But uh, again, you just got to think it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to stand out from every other infographic that you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. And not, actually, not, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and actually what I meant was to have like a small infographic on your shotgun skyscraper or on the skyscraper content so that mm-hmm. there's custom graphics. It's really good content and there's some yeah. data on there. So like, really I've found more success like stacking ideas together where I did like a guest posting campaign on top of a skyscraper campaign like that that worked pretty good because again you're stacking things together which is why like the shotgun skyscraper and then if you could throw custom graphics like you said that's a great way to differentiate from all the other people that are publishing similar content yeah exactly exactly like what we did for your for your skyscraper piece so we we used we used about 20 different data points which were just publicly available statistics right but it kind of added we didn't put it into one graphic it was kind of distributed throughout the article so it kind of added it's kind of interesting snippets of data that you kind of read as you kind of reading through the article um and that's kind of bespoke graphics i guess along the way there so that's yeah that's that works quite well as well Awesome. Any other details with how you guys do campaigns or, um, you know, people should think about certain problems they may run into if they were trying to do this on their own? I think we probably, yeah, I think we've already covered most of that. Most of that. I'm trying to think about what what else is there, but, um, how about how much the software would cost to like, Mm -hmm. cause you were talking about using Hunter. I know there's other alternatives, but you know, you can talk about, I mean, Hunt. Yeah. I mean, um, Hunter's the best by far. I mean, there are other other ones, but uh, just the, the the accuracy of the data and the amount of email addresses you get back just isn't doesn't compare. So um, at the moment, I know there's definitely more tools coming out, which uh, every, you know seems quite regularly now, um, which may I haven't tested any for a while, but Hunter has been the best for for a while now. But yeah, we use uh, Ahref Ahrefs to do the a lot of the keyword research initially um, to the topic research. We also do use that for the prospecting. So we do, <clears throat> we like I said, we download all of those those prospects. And that's just a case of a lot of downloads of CSVs, um, which takes several hours and then kind of merging them together. Um, so we use Ahrefs for that aspect. 
We use um, Hunter for the email addresses and the campaigns. So, I mean, Hunter is really quite expensive, really, depending on how much outreach you're doing. Um, you know, I can't remember what the, first, the lowest plan is, but, you know, we're on, we're on like a custom plan now, which is kind of above what all the plans are. I think that the highest one that's available is $400 a month. So it's, it's, it's quite expensive for that data. And Ahrefs is, you can, you can get it for like $99, but then, you know, it all adds up. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's, that's all the, oh, and G Suite we use as well. So that's a small subscription every month um, for that okay. as well, and the cost of a domain. <laughs> Let's move on to an upcoming case study that you guys are going to be working on. It's like a, a million words that you're trying to publish. Can you tell us about that? And like, what, what are you trying to do with this um, new case study? Yeah. So we want to, we've been working with expired domains increasingly um, at niche website builders and, and kind of uh, brand portfolios at them um, in particular, been rolling out some case studies where he's, he's, he's creating one or two sites a month. We're kind of calling it like, um, like the many horse strategy kind of internally a little bit. So, you know, the idea being that, you know, if we start 10 sites on an expired domain, then, you know, this, when, when you're starting new sites, whether they're, on, whether they're on expired domains or new domains, you never quite know which ones are going to take off. And it's hard to predict up front if they're going to. So if you, you know, some will take off really quickly and some, and some will just take a, long, a much longer time. And my belief is that if you're doing the right things, over time, you know, you'll, you'll get there with uh, eventually. But the, the idea behind our strategy is like, why, why persevere and push on with what, you know, one site uh, and take a long time to kind of get there when you've got, you've got uh, some that are showing clear potential. So by putting many horses into the race, so you start 10 sites, we'd expect four kind of to, to break even after a year with maybe a hundred thousand words of content. And then like another four to be doing a little bit better and kind of giving you a return on investment, a few extra hundred dollars a month. Um, and then like two of those 10 may be the, the ones that are just clearly taking off and clearly the winners. And that's kind of how we're modeling our strategy at the moment. And then maybe we would sell those that are breaking even, either keep some of the others for cash flow or sell the, the others that are doing a little bit better and just reinvest everything into those ones that are winning because you're just going to get there faster. So, <clears throat> This is this is how we've been working out strategy in terms of expired domains, but um, and, and because we've been doing it a while, and we've got um, we've got clients that have been doing this for longer than we have, and they've got like some history as well and that they've shared with us, and can kind of we've seen their results over time as well, and so we, we're pretty confident that um, you know, our worst case scenario is breaking breaking even um, in this, and so therefore it gives you a lot of confidence then to to go for it because we know that you know, pretty much we can, we can break even and that's the worst thing that can happen. The, the best thing that can happen is that the, take, the site really takes off and flies. So we've got many horse, we, we, so we're building up many expired domains and doing this many, many horse kind of strategy. But in particular, we've bought a, a very powerful expired domain recently and we just thought it'd be an interesting case study to kind of get a million words on that domain as quickly as possible. Well, I'd say, yeah, as quick as we can. We've got, uh, you know, a number of a number of writers now, and we've got kind of spare capacity, and we we, we kind of you know employed additional writers for our own projects anyway, and we're going to start you know with two hundred thousand words initially, and then we're just going to keep piling on as many as we can as quickly as we can over a period of maybe three or four months, and try to get a million words, and then just see kind of see what happens because we don't know yet, but we we at least expect to break, expect to break even, but if we get the good thing about having a powerful domain is that there's, there's bigger upside. So, you know, we, we found that how, how powerful the domain means, the domain is when you buy it, it doesn't necessarily mean that's, that site's definitely going to take off. It might not. Um, and so we've had sites that are, we, we've bought much cheaper domains that are just aged and they are the small authority that have done really well and vice versa. But if you pick a, if you, if one of the winners is a really powerful domain, there's lots, lots more upside that can be had because of that, the, the authority that that domain has. So we might get lucky with this one and it might fly. Um, we might not, but uh, um, we're, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Can you share um, how much you spent on the domain? We spent um, about $5,000, maybe a little bit more. 
five and a half, okay. something like that. And then can you share the the metrics? Um, and then we'll, I'll have you back on to talk about the, you know, as time goes on to get an update. But yeah, just curious about the, uh, you know, initial um, metrics and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a, I think it's I think it's a DR sixty four ish, which is good, but it's more the the quality of the links that 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 are there. Obviously, the the DR is a manifestation of that that metric, but that 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 number can be achieved a number of different ways. So there's actually a lot of very high quality sites uh, that are linking to this domain, which I guess is great. You know, less. So less domains linking, but those ones that are really powerful, I guess, is, is one way to describe it. Um, and it's within, it's the proper niche. There's no like um, s- switching to some other area. You're in the right topic area here. Oh, I see. So that, yeah, I mean, the domain dictated the niche, essentially. So we were just looking for a really good domain. That's that's how we were doing a lot. Uh, when, when we were working with expired domains in the early days and running, going through the auctions, it's very hard to say, I want a, a domain in the dog niche and then find one. So what we've historically done is just try to find awesome domains and then that uh, that would work as a niche site and then that dictates the niche for us. We're, we're building up a lot of partnerships now, um, which means we've got more, a lot more access to a lot more domains, which means we are able to service a little bit more um, specific requests. But in this case, it was just a it was a, it was a good domain. We like the backlink profile and we liked its history. Um, you know, looking at Wayback Machine, it was you know, a very credible kind of site um, historically, and that's why it's got some uh, some really good links. And that essentially dictated it's in the sports. I can tell you, it's in the sport in the sports space, um, and that's that's why we 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 decided to go with it. Nice. And you know, you mentioned a million words. How many articles do you envision that being? Oh, can, you'll make me do math now, uh, Doug. <laughs> so, I so I mean, typically. Um, it kind of varies because you know we base the, the length of articles on a number of different factors on the on the, comp- on the competitors. But if you you know if you're typically saying that maybe a roundup review is two and a half thousand words, and then informational posts are a thousand to fifteen hundred, maybe single product reviews are the same, thousand fifteen hundred. Then so they're talking how many is that? Like three hundred, four hundred posts, something like that. I was going to guess 400. I was going to guess about 400 to account for those just ballpark. So, okay. That, that lines up. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. And you you said you imagine it'll be three or four months or so to, to get it all done. Get it all done. And then, I mean, it'll take uh, several months more to see the fruition of our labor. Um, in that respect, it won't all just, we don't expect it to rank overnight. It just doesn't with the expired domains anyway, but the sooner we get it on there, the sooner it will. Um, I guess the other point is that we're, we're looking to do 50% informational content, 50% affiliate content as well. Um, just because, um, you know, with the, with the modern uh, advertising uh, networks and platforms like, you know, Zoic and Mediavine and AdThrive, you know, the, the payout for those are really good now compared to like the AdSense days and, um, and, and easier to rank for as well. You can much more easily rank an informational article than you can many kind of review-based articles. So, I mean, what I found with my portfolio and working with clients is that um, are quite often ad revenue matches affiliate revenue um, um, in terms of what it brings in. So, yeah, we're, we're probably going to go 50-50 um, in terms of informational and affiliate content as well. And will you be doing any link building campaigns along the way? Obviously you have that at your disposal as well, or are you going to just, you know, let it stand and publish the content and see what happens? So that's the beauty of an expired domain. That's already got a really powerful backlink profile is that we we probably won't do that in the first instance, because there's going to be plenty of opportunities with the, the, you know, the sites that are ranking that are weaker than us, a DL 64 that we can go for. So that's what we'll go for initially um, because, you know, what a lot of people, when you, when you say that we paid you know, $5,000 for a domain, people might think that's a bit crazy um, or even a couple of thousand dollars is a bit crazy, but it's actually a really, really cheap way to buy backlinks when you consider how much you pay for a service to get the same number of backlinks, three or 400 referring domains. It costs way more than one or $2,000 that you might spend on a domain. 
um, and and it's aged. You know, you've got obviously you've got to pick the right one. You know, you've got to do your due diligence because not every just because it's a powerful domain doesn't mean it's, it'll make a good niche site, and not every domain has a good history um, that you'd want to build a, a, a site a good foundation for building a site on. So as long as you pick the right domain, um, it's actually a really cheap way of buying links. So yeah, to to answer your question directly, when in those in that first instance, when we're doing a million the first million words, we won't build any links. However, if it takes off down the road and we see it really flying and thinking, hey, we can make this into much more of like a serious authority site and widen the scope into uh, more sports and things, then then maybe and we want to go for some of the bigger players and the more difficult keywords, then that's when we'd look to build links as well. Very cool. Yeah. And I, I agree. 100% 100% with the, you know, expired domain, or if, you know, I, the better way, I think you could disagree if you want, would be to find mm-hmm. a blog that has not yet expired and it's just under monetized. Maybe it's neglected and you could buy it for, you know, v- relatively cheap because it's not earning much money. And then at that point, you know, you a, a lot of times with the expired domains, I've heard that there's some volatility. You may see, like you said, certain results and you really, you don't know how Google is treating those expired domains, but if it never expired, well, you're just coming up and publishing new content on a blog that didn't get anything, um, any attention for a while. So yeah, I mean, 5,000 is a lot if you're comparing it to just a brand new domain, but when you add in the fantastic backlinks, it would be very expensive to get, um, you know, whatever, however many backlinks, I'm just going to make up a number. You didn't tell me this, but to get, you know, a hundred backlinks that are pretty high quality. I mean, that takes time to, to get them. And then if you tried to do it just immediately, it could take you, you know, a year to get a hundred really good backlinks. It could take you, you know, whatever, five years to do it depending on the niche. So very cool. Yeah, for sure. And when, um, I'm just curious, when are you guys launching this? Like, when is it going to be um, in in action? So the, the keyword research is done, at least for, it's not the biggest one. It's not one of the biggest sports uh, in terms of the amount of uh, content we can write for. I mean, it's a popular sport, but it's not, it, it doesn't have a lot of equipment associated with it in terms of affiliate content. Um, so um, it, we're actually struggling a little bit to get to the million words <laughs> because of the, the lack of actually opportunity, but uh, we will, we will anyway, because we're writing a lot of informational content and we have to, if we have to branch out into shoulder niches and stuff as well, then we'll do that too. Um, but the keyword research is done up for yeah, like six, seven, 800,000 words um, ish. And we've got 200,000 words ready prepped to go for our writers so they're, they're going to be starting on that in like the next week or so i expect um we'll get the first two hundred thousand words done i guess probably then it'll be in a couple of weeks time they'll be done the, the two, first two hundred thousand words all right that's cool i'll be interested to get an update um as it goes along here so um any other details about this case study that i didn't ask you about that are interesting I'm going to say no again. I think I think I don't think there's anything else to cover on that. <laughs> I'm a good interviewer. <laughs> you cover all the bases. Yeah. I, mean, I think we're we're, we're going to we're going to be pretty public as well about this, um, but probably through uh, you know yourself, Doug, and um, uh, more than kind of on our own blog. But um, we're 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 going to provide updates as much as we can because hopefully it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens if nothing else for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I mean, a lot of people don't have the resources to, you know, to do it. So it's good to see like what can happen if you were to try this. It's a very common question that I get. And I have, you know, sort of a side note here on YouTube. It's kind of, it's kind of weird occasionally. And some people have said, Hey, this person's story is not relatable to me because I don't have $10,000 or whatever. Well, the good part is you can still learn from other case studies. If you have different constraints, you may actually come up with more creative ideas to solve problems. If you 
have those constraints. So yeah, I know people may not have the resources to pay for a million words, but uh, some actually some people do and they do buy a million words worth of content and then other people can still learn from your experience when you're sharing it, which is good. So every, everyone remember that. I know some people are like, yeah, fuck that, fuck that guy who has $15,000 <laughs> to buy content. But you know what? He's like, they're doing it. So maybe try to learn something and don't complain about free information. So just yeah. to gripe. I mean, we, we, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think the numbers are just bigger, right? So, you know, if you double double what you put into it or triple what you put into it, the more you put into it, the, the numbers are bigger then. So it still applies down at the lower level. So if you can only afford 100,000 words over over time, over a year maybe or something, and but you can double or triple your money, it's 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 you're still double or tripling your money. It's just that the numbers aren't as big. So, um, it, I think the the whole the whole thing still applies. It's still it's still relevant, whichever level you're you're looking at there. Yep, and you don't know if it's going to work. And you know some of the other comments that I've received uh, about people investing, it's a risk. You're literally um, putting money up, and you don't know if you're going to get a return on it at all. It's probably going to work out. You know, it's you're calculating exactly what kind of moves you're making. You're not just ramping up out of nowhere, but there's a chance you're not going to see the ROI that you're expecting and it would be in a very public <laughs> public way. So, um yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing the story and I'm excited to hear more in the future. The thing is about these things is, is as well as that um, I think we come across this when, you know, we have new people starting into this space and uh, and I've got similar fears is that very, very rarely, you know, it's almost entirely unlikely that you're just going to lose everything that you've put in. If you put $10,000 into a site and you've done it you know, properly, um, you've, you've created the content, you've maybe built some links or whatever, it's never it's never going to be a complete loss. You're not going to have lost all of that money because the, what you've built is going to be an asset that's worth something. So, so consider a scenario where, okay, the site's only worth $5,000 by the time you, you've finished with it and you spent 10, then you, have, you haven't lost your full 10, you've lost five. So I think people think if I spend this, I, I could just lose it all. And unless you're doing something un, you shouldn't be doing or, or I mean, there's, al there's always a risk with Google, right? That the algorithm will come along and it's pretty, it doesn't, doesn't take any prisoners. You don't necessarily have to be doing anything particularly wrong, but very, very rarely where if you're going to lose everything, you know, if you, especially if you pay for an expired domain as well, that domain holds its value. If you spent $2,000 on the domain, it's probably still worth $2,000. As long as you didn't buy a dud in the first place, you got someone to help you with the, the due diligence and that. So, Yep. Yeah, totally agree. Um, that's uh, that's a nuance that we can talk about another time. It's beyond the scope, but the um, there is intrinsic value either in the links or in the content. So usually you're not left with nothing. There's something there, but with the volatility, that's one of the big things with um, you know website investing. You get huge returns, but it's typically more volatile than you know if you bought a piece of real estate, which has its own challenges too. So there's no yep. like free rides in any case, but. It is, um, it's unlikely, like you said, to lose everything. If you were relatively smart and didn't make any um, weird mistakes or tried to take too many shortcuts, that's what happens a lot of times. If someone tries to take shortcuts by paying really cheap amounts for content or you know, hire some random person on Fiverr to do your link building, you, know, you can mm -hmm. run into trouble there and actually have n nothing <laughs> at the end. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So- yeah. We I think you're right. Deep. I mean, move, you know, move the content. You know, the con like you said, the content's got value. If you, if it didn't work out on a domain, move it to another one. We we sometimes you know work with clients that um, they've built up a lot of authority in a specific uh, niche, and they, they try to create a shoulder niche. Um, and the, for whatever reason, the shoulder niche just, just doesn't get the same traction as the, the the primary niche on there. And you know, they can put invest lots of time and you know links and stuff into it and still doesn't kind of work out then at the end of the day you go okay well let's just let's just buy a, a domain that is specifically that, that targeted that in that niche already or has got a history with that niche and then put and just migrate the content over there and just kind of through you know yeah move, move everything over and then you know that, that content still valuable as you say and you, you still got an opportunity then with a new site to to to, to make use of it very good 
Well, anything else, Mark, on your mind today? I think so. Like, how's it where you are? What's the weather like? It's still hot down there. Actually, we got like a foot of snow over the weekend, and did you? Yeah, and it was. I think it chilled down to about one degree Fahrenheit, so that is um, extremely cold. What what would that be? That's like negative sixteen C or something. I mean, it's it's cold. Yeah, very cold. Is that yeah. is that is that normal for the time of year for you? It's it's unusual. It happens occasionally. Um, you, usually, it's more like January February time frame, and yeah. we, it's crazy. We actually had like some pretty serious wildfires um, very very close to us. But I mean, we were safe. But you could see like tons of smoke. You couldn't see the sun, so we needed the precipitation, and it helped the fires uh quite a bit so but yeah it's it's very i mean it warmed up a little bit today but it's uh pretty cold pretty cold here so. i was thinking that because you had your jump your jumper on which you don't normally see but i'm sure I was, i'm sure it was only a month ago you were saying it was really hot but maybe maybe it, it was, was. Than I thought. yeah it was like <laughs> okay it was like 100 degrees uh you know whatever weeks ago <laughs> okay. so um yeah it was big big shift right before the big snow it was, you know, very warm wearing shorts and a t-shirt, like pretty warm, warm weather. So what, what about where you're at there? Yeah, it turned a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not exactly the warmest place in the world anyway in England. So, um, but um, yeah, we had a good summer. We've had like a few good summers, you know, the last few years. I think it's probably global warming's going with that. But yeah, it's got cold now. It's, it's just wet, you know, and just dreary, so yeah and the the cool thing here is we got like 300 sunny days a year so it snowed for like a day and a half ton of snow shoveled the driveway um you know they plow everything and then the sun comes out so even if it's like 30 degrees like around zero celsius feels pretty good i was like wearing shorts when i went to the gym earlier and it feels fine everything sort of i mean there's a lot of snow on the grass but I could like drive around and the sidewalks are all clear. So kind of, I mean, it's pretty crazy. So it's sunny and blue skies looks nice. The mountains look beautiful. So, all right. Well, where can people find you, Mark? So yeah, if you go to uh, niche website builders website, which is uh, niche website builders, um, you can also find us on Facebook. We've got a couple of Facebook groups. One uh, it's just called niche website builders, which is for builders and that's kind of where the original case study started as well um and then we've got another uh, group called niche website flippers which is kind of like a you know a free marketplace if you will for like buying selling kind of site so if you want to do try and do some private deals on there you know, we recommend going through escrow of course we don't we don't vet any of the deals on there they're they're just people putting sites up for sale or or, or interested buyers so sometimes it can be a good way to connect with people and avoid avoid the fees a little bit um but but yeah so those are the two those are the those are the main places you can find us all right awesome i'll link up so everybody can find that really easily thanks a lot mark appreciate it okay thanks doug thanks for having me Thanks a lot to Mark Mars from Niche Website Builders. You can connect with him if you check out the links in the show notes here. You can save 10% on, what is it? The link building package to the Shotgun Skyscraper. Or if you purchase a done-for-you site or content, you can get 10% additional content. I have standing orders with both of those services. I have not purchased a site from them, but I get content from them and they're helping out with the shotgun skyscraper with me. So you can save or get more content. Check it out if you're interested. And I encourage you to, you know, join their Facebook group if that's your thing. I I think actually in the last episode, sometimes super recently, I did complain or at least mention that Facebook is not my thing, but it is the thing of you know a billion other people. So I understand that people like Facebook, but just not my thing. I don't spend a lot of time there, but they do have a Facebook group. They have a couple of them. As Mark said, one of them is more focused on building sites and the other one is like selling, purchasing and sort of flipping sites. So you could pick your poison and aim for whatever you like. As a side note, I know some people don't love the rambling, but I will ramble just a bit. 
I finished the interview with Mark just a bit ago, and then it it's uh, not quite five o'clock here, but I am my own boss, aside from my wife, so I'm like a co-boss, at least of myself, and I thought, I'm going to get some beer. So I went out to the kegerator, there's six taps on there, and there's a beer that is, it's about two, yes, it is two years old. I brewed it in the September time frame of 2018. It's a Belgian Dark Strong, one of my favorite, favorite styles. I like all Belgian beers, but this Belgian Dark Strong is, is kind of the high octane, comes in at around 11%. And it's a recipe that I've brewed many, many times. And the reason why I gravitate toward Belgian styles is they're hard to get locally, like wherever you live from like a local brewery. Usually, you know, you might be able to find one or two beers that are Belgian on a, on a brew pub menu. They are usually okay. It's rare to find an exceptional domestically U.S. brewed Belgian beer. If you buy an actual beer that was imported, you know, they had to ship it. It may not be coming in the, the best condition. Sometimes they're a little older, which can be okay. Some people prefer something that's been shipped and aged a little bit. And it's expensive. So if you get the import beer, if you get Belgian beer from Belgium, it could be quite expensive. We're talking, you know, five dollars for a, a 12 ounce is actually eleven point two ounces. I think that's three hundred and thirty milliliters, if I remember right. So it, it's fairly expensive. And then if you get the 750, 750 milliliters, usually that's caged and corked. That is probably going to cost between 11 and $15 for like your average sort of Belgian beer. And for a Belgian dark strong, what are we talking about? So that's a Chimay blue. You may see those um, distributed pretty widely. One of my favorites is the St. Bernardist apt 12. And that has a monk on the bottle. All the Chimay beers and all the St. Bernardist beers are very good. But that app 12 is very, very good. And that's kind of a gateway, or at least it was a gateway for me. And you can get them at like Kroger's or Safeways or, you know, big chain grocery stores. They're that well distributed. And this beer here is just fantastic. Like I said, it's a couple years old. These are beers that you can age and very complex. It does check in at a high ABV, as I mentioned before. A lot of times it'll be between you know nine and twelve percent. And I've made you know the beer between you know, those extreme ranges, but I do like the ten and a half to eleven percent. Those seem to work out pretty good. Not too much alcohol. Maybe you get a little chatty, but it's not like warm or doesn't taste like a liquor or anything like that. It's just like, oh, this is a pretty good beer. And that is one of the keys with these Belgian beers. They sneak up on you. You're thinking, hey, I'm drinking a, uh, you know, an average alcohol beer. And then next thing you know, you got to call for a ride home. So with that, I will leave you and let you know that another great episode is coming out soon. I have a few very good, I can't uh, tell you too much, but a few very good episodes with uh, some just success stories. So these are people out of the woodwork or stepping up. They're saying, hey, I got a great story to share. And I'm bringing those out. Um, a lot of them are sort of uh, grassroots. So bootstrapped. People are starting with almost nothing. And they're like, hey, I'm, I'm earning a few hundred bucks per month. I know sometimes we go to the extremes. Sometimes we have some folks that are earning you know, 40,000 per month. And then we have some other folks that are earning you know, $400 per month, $40. They're just getting started. So I do try to cover a spectrum. I know in this episode, I did, I did bust some balls out there, especially on the YouTube side where people, um, they were like, hey, I don't have you know, $15,000 to invest in a website that I'm not sure if it's going to work. And what I could tell you is that's okay. I hope sometime soon you will have that and you'll have the confidence to invest it. And the thing is 
you should start very small and organically grow. That's what I did. I mean, so that's what I identify with. I started with nothing. I purchased hosting, a keyword research tool, and my startup costs were under $200, basically. And then fast forward, um, as time goes on, and I saw small successes, I felt more confident to invest $500 into a thing or $1,000 or even buy courses that were like $4,000. I purchased multiple courses that were very expensive. And I, I am so glad that I did. It's not the recipe for everyone, but you know, you do what is comfortable to you. And as I mentioned in the episode, you can learn something, even if you're in a different situation, just look at your constraints and understand, you know, where you have flexibility. You may actually have an advantage over people because you have to figure out better, smarter ways to do things. So with that, have a great day out there. We'll catch you in the next episode.